Unfucking the Republic is brought to you by Sam C., an unfucking insane level member of the show. And today's episode is brought to you by Unfucking Pros, Nettie Hugger One, and Mr. Say Less. Oh, my friends, we are fucked. Deliciously, unreservedly, catastrophically fucked. And not the good kind. We'll traverse this political pundit who looked at the world around him and just said, fuck it. Gives the middle finger to authority and says, kiss my ass. But instead of a revolution, he started a podcast. The world is a mean and nasty little place. Finding the truth can be a little tricky. Don't go punch yourself in the face. Just listen to an unfucking quickie. Happy anniversary, unfuckers! The subtitle of this episode is Look Back, Go Forward, because I'm really clever. But it does have some meaning to it. Today, I want to have the ultimate level-setting conversation with our listeners. Heading into the change of seasons, I wanted to use our one-year anniversary as an excuse to reflect as well as project. Today, we're going to examine some of the broader themes that we've teased out together over the past 12 months and chart the path forward so we can set some expectations. If you're familiar with our catalog, hopefully you can tell that we put a lot into each episode. Research, writing, editing, producing, it all takes a good deal of time and energy. The first draft of the show was in the summer of 2020, at the height of the pandemic. It was a scary time for everybody in a period that none of us would like to revisit anytime soon. But these periods have a tendency to inspire, partly out of fear and partly out of a desire to change one's circumstances. And like most of you, that's where I was mid-2020 when I started formulating the show. And here's where I got really lucky. I happened upon Tom McGovern, who's responsible for all of the original music in the show, and he delivers every time. I was already connected through prior experience to Manny Faces, whom I consider to be one of the best producers in the industry and I worked alongside the extremely talented and thoughtful 99. I had access to some really incredible colleagues and was able to bounce ideas off them, and I have a supportive family. Without these ingredients, I'm just a guy blabbing into a microphone. Funny enough, even with these ingredients... You're just a guy blabbing into a microphone. Ew. As I was saying... At the time, the country was also in the waning stages of the Trump administration, though it was unclear whether it was the end or simply the middle. In fact, we were initially targeting to launch the show in January of 2021, but in the event we someday gained a following and people dug our take on the world, I wanted a timestamp of sorts to get something out before the election to stake a claim and show where we stood. So we sort of rushed to get the first couple of shows out to piss on our corner of the world and mark our territory. This wasn't going to be a Trump-bashing show, we didn't want to align by party affiliation, and we weren't going to wade into current events or drink from the fire hose of discontent that signified this period. Instead, we were going to take our time and embark on a hopefully long journey together toward understanding the American experiment a little better. And though we see the world from a progressive perspective, it's one that's more pragmatic than dogmatic. I mapped out about six months' worth of topics and committed to two things. One, I would get through all of them and pour my heart into writing them, trusting that Manny and 99 would elevate the show and support me in putting it together. And two, when I felt like we were in a rhythm, I would spend a specific budget on promoting the show to see if we had something special that added to the national discourse and not just the noise. And this brings me to something that you've heard me mention before, but today especially, it bears repeating. By January of 2021, we'd covered a few topics that I felt were important in setting the groundwork for UNFTR. The federal budget, the military, corporate propaganda, capitalism, a Trump episode, and one on objectivism called Ayn Rand was a dick. But it wasn't until the beatification of Ronald Reagan that I really felt like we were in a groove. We developed a voice of the show, a semblance of structure, and we were beginning to inject some of the satire that you've heard into the production. So I sent out a ton of requests to other podcasts that we'd been cultivating and researching since even before the show launched. One after the other, we were turned down. And some of these were friends of mine. So to be clear, I wasn't looking for freebies. I know how hard it is to build an audience, so I wanted to respect this and pay for the privilege of introducing UNFTR through other shows. If the numbers didn't improve, or if they spiked and then dropped again and no one stuck with it, then I'd have my answer and could just go back to toiling in obscurity. The only problem was no one bit. One by one, the responses came back pretty negative. It's not for us, the host turned it down, or just 
No answer at all. The only person to answer was Jay from Best of the Left. Sounds like it's right up my alley, happy to help, he said. That was literally his first response. Now, I'd known Jay from another project a few years back, but nothing that would warrant the amount of love and attention that he showed me from this point forward. He gave us a friends and family rate to help us get off the ground, suggested that we take it slow, gave us insight into how to best craft an advertisement, and took the time to listen to our initial shows, offer feedback, and even some advice on how to run a show from a business perspective. The amount of information and insight he gave me in those initial weeks, and in fact ever since, could never approach a fraction of the investment we made into an ad campaign. And then he reached out to his friend David Pakman and introduced our show to him, and then again to the Young Turks. And if you follow our show, it's pretty likely that you came from one of these places. So if Jay wasn't willing to take a chance on me, it's likely we would have never met unfuckers. It doesn't matter who you are. In life, in business, there are people who get us to where we are. And that's why one year into this amazing journey, I want to start by thanking the people whose shoulders I'm standing on. Does that mean that I can put you down now? You've put on a few. It's the master of timing himself, Manny Faces, everyone. You'll hear from him in a bit. I'll be in my dressing room. You've my writer, right? Ah, the omniscient and omnipotent 99. You'll hear from her as well. And, of course, my friend and guide in the world of podcasting, Jay Tomlinson from Best of the Left. Hey, Max. Sorry for the delay on this. I've been hanging out with my two-and-a-half-year-old niece, which means I've been equal parts sick, sticky, and struck with awe and wonder by living vicariously through her unsullied eyes. So anyway, that's why I haven't had a chance to take a look at this until just now. So, all right, what do we got here? A little script. Let's take a look. Uh, one take, like a fucking professional. Thanks, Max. You're very welcome. Congratulations on your first anniversary and appreciate the recognition. First anniversary. That's, uh, that's cute. I didn't ask podcasters to do that sort of thing for me until I hit my 500th episode, but you know, whatever. Uh, anyway, is, is that all right? Do we get that? Um, and by the way, this sounds like the sort of thing that you could like take out of context or try to do one of your funny little skits with or something. Let's just not fucking do that. That's, that's not my brand. All right. Don't make me do something you're going to regret because you know I'll fucking do it. Oh, what's, what's that, baby? Hiya. Did you need another Nutella sandwich? Okay. Hang on, sweetheart. Jesus. <laughs> There's a side of Jay that most of you don't see. And of course, there are so many more people to thank, but these are the people who have lived this experience intimately and poured their hearts and souls into the show. So let's talk about the show and level set, shall we? Here's how things started. So what is this? I'm glad you asked. Long story short, and as you've no doubt observed, our little republic is fucked on so many levels. The central objective of this podcast, however, isn't to prove how fucked we are, but to show that we're fucked in ways that we haven't really considered. Ah, yes. Fucked in ways we haven't really considered. That's the underlying premise of the show. Evaluating policies or events that have somehow contributed to our current situation and presenting it in such a way that we can wrap our minds around it or develop a new shared language. In our minute-to-minute 24-7 consumption culture, sometimes we lose the plot and rely on the last line of a narrative to identify our feelings about a person, a party, a policy, or... Uh, hey, Manny, I need another uh, P-word to hit for the alliterative cycle. I got you. Poopy caca. Nailed it. A person, party, policy, or poopy caca. To somehow break away from identity politics and reframe critical issues that pertain to our democracy. So we set the table early on with a budget episode that breaks the federal budget down into bite-sized chunks to talk about how we raise money, where it goes, and who decides. One of the areas of attention was on the military budget, which makes up more than half of the discretionary spending each year. We used that knowledge as a springboard to talk about how we slowly militarized domestic law enforcement over the past few decades to such an extreme that it's mostly only found in authoritarian nations. And we used these examples to tee up the next episode on American-style propaganda to show how these developments that would have seemed downright preposterous to any American prior to the 1970s have been packaged and normalized over time. These were the three main building blocks I wanted to lay down prior to the election to explain what this show was about in the event that, I don't know, something fucked up happened and everything changed. This is now effectively a riot. 1349 hours declaring it a riot. 
But, you know, everything went pretty smoothly after the election, so there wasn't much to comment on. So we got back to business. The goal was to keep hitting on big themes, showing how things overlap and ultimately gather support and become policy. I always refer to them as building blocks, and I think that this approach has served us well because sometimes it's really difficult to explain why fucked up things are the way they are. Take, for example, a throwaway line that most of us have likely heard. Ronald Reagan destroyed the middle class. The left just sort of takes this as gospel, and the right obviously thinks Ronald Reagan walks on water and literally lifted America from the ashes of the Carter administration to the heavens. A shining city on a hill. I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Nancy, I just shit my pants. Make America great again. I think that's why the Reagan episode was really our coming out show. In the budget episode, we were able to show how our priorities changed dramatically over the past half century. From here, we were able to explain why and how the military funding grew to such an enormous degree, beginning under Reagan and at the expense of social welfare programs. And in the domestic law enforcement episode, we explained how Reagan created the funding pathways to militarize local police forces and outfit them with military-grade weapons and training. So by setting the stage for these big-ticket items, we were able to focus on very specific financial con jobs that Reagan pulled off from increasing taxes on the middle class 11 times during his terms to increasing social security deductions and placing a cap on them, which essentially turned it into a regressive tax. Reagan didn't wave a magic wand and fuck the middle class. He did it by lying and deceiving the public through propaganda. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. There were a couple of other building blocks that we laid down before the Reagan episodes as well that are more what I consider unfucking adjacent. These are topics that are outside of socioeconomic and political arenas, but related enough that they contribute to the public sentiment that allows for horrible policies to not just be adopted, but accepted or even lauded. For example, in preparation for the Reagan episode and others since, we did a show specifically on the theory of objectivism and the influence of Ayn Rand. In modern politics, Ayn Rand had a resurgence of interest during the Obama years when Paul Ryan looked like he was the future of the Republican Party. Ryan was a devotee of Ayn Rand along with others like Ted Cruz and Kevin McCarthy. But before this new wave of shitheads, the original cult followers of Rand were actually more dangerous in positions of great authority. People like Alan Greenspan, who factored heavily into the Reagan episode. Understanding how this tiny, chain-smoking Russian atheist who hated feminism, FDR, and pretty much everything else created a philosophy that inspired the likes of Greenspan helps explain why they behaved as they did. But then we followed this show with an episode on the evangelical wing of the Republican Party to explain how supposedly Christian people could buy into policies that literally take from the poor and give to the rich. So in our Prosperity Doctrine Christ as Capitalist episode, we charted the evangelical journey in America from the 1920s through to today to figure out how this bizarre doctrine of faith became aligned with Republican values. So, you know, put together the warping of Christianity with Ayn Rand's objectivism and you get the doctrinal elements of the modern Republican Party and the ability to explain in detail just how Ronald Reagan did fuck the middle class. But sadly, he's gone. So we won't have the chance to tell him. And I want to look him straight in the eye and I want to tell him what a cheap, lying, no good, rotten, four-flushing, low-life, snake-licking, dirt-eating, inbred, overstuffed, ignorant, blood Sucking, dog-kissing, brainless, dickless, hopeless, heartless, fat-ass, bug-eyed, stiff-legged, spotty-lipped, worm-headed sack of monkey shit he is! This is Trakushin from Canada. I absolutely love unfucking the Republic. Max is just an amazing performer, let alone extremely intelligent in what he speaks about. It is a very well put together podcast, almost like a radio drama. I just love listening to it. I often will listen to this podcast while I'm trying to put my little baby girl to bed. So it's quite the happy coincidence that your podcast's birthday is only a few weeks away from my little baby girl's birthday. Listening to your podcast gives me hope for the future. That there is actually solutions to the problems that we have in this world. 
And uh, last but not least, fuck Milton Friedman. And now a message from the pre- I mean, many faces. My fellow unfuckers. Four score, or like one year ago, our podfather brought forth on this platform a new podcast, Conceived in Liberty, or perhaps while intoxicated, but dedicated to the proposition that all unfucking people are created equal. Now we are engaged in what could very likely be the next civil war, testing whether this fucking republic, or any republic conceived and so dedicated, can long endure. We are met on a great electronic battlefield of that war. We have come to celebrate this anniversary as a reflection on those who here gave their coffee donations so that this republic might be unfucked. It is altogether fitting and proper that we should do this. But, in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hallow this podcast. The brave unfuckers who donated, who emailed, who brought actual fucking organic free trade, shade-grown, bird-friendly fucking coffee from our partners at Native Coffee Traders have consecrated it, far above our poor but incredibly well-edited ability to add or detract. The world will little note nor long remember what this basic white guy Max has said in these episodes, but they can never forget what we did here. It is for you, the unfuckers, to be dedicated to the ongoing work which we who have recorded thus far so bumblingly advanced, that from this year of episodes you take increased devotion to the cause for which Max has given his full measure of devotion, that all here highly resolve that Max, 99, and the incredible Manny Faces shall have not podcasted in vain, that this fucking republic, under God, or the God of your choosing, or no God at all, that's fine too, shall have a new year of episodes. And this republic of the unfuckers, by the unfuckers, for the unfuckers, shall not perish from the earth. Or Apple Podcasts. Thank you. I love Manny Faces. 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 So as most unfuckers know, Ronald Reagan wasn't going to be the only one in our sights. There was a bigger nemesis on the horizon. It's the free lunch myth. The belief that somehow or other government can spend money at nobody's expense. There he is, the shit given himself. A handful of non-unfuckers have come out of the woodwork to criticize our take on Milton Friedman, and perhaps there would have been more had we not carefully laid out the argument over several episodes that the policies crafted by Friedman and his colleagues in the Chicago School contributed to the rise of neoliberalism. Over the course of several episodes, we made the case that from Nixon forward, with an all-too-brief respite in the Carter years, the theories of the Chicago School economists paved the way for some of the more disastrous policies in the United States, from social welfare and criminal justice reforms to the impact on climate change. By detailing the harmful and lasting effects of the Reagan era, we were able to shift gears and begin chipping away at Friedman's legacy before going for a full-on fucking in what remains our number one downloaded episode, Fuck Milton Friedman. With the Reagan years under our belts and understanding how the Christian evangelical and objectivism movements allowed for the mental shift in the country towards an anti-welfare, anti-government, anti-regulation sentiment, we introduced the insidious impact of corporatism in our governance and our daily lives. The mass incarceration episodes spoke to the rise of the prison industrial complex through privatization and legislation that criminalized poverty and blackness in America. And we drew a straight line from the Chicago school to this phenomenon taking root Though I will admit that this was not the line that Friedman intended, and I'll get to that in a second. After that, we did our first two-parter on corporate America and how deregulation fueled the insane accumulation of power and access to the levers of government in America. We concluded the buildup of the Fuck Milton show with an episode on conscious capitalism to dissuade anyone from the notion that capitalism possesses the inherent ability to fix itself for the benefit of society as a whole. And then we got after it. 
The FMF hashtag caught fire with the release of our Fuck Milton Friedman episode, where we spent the first half actually talking about the man that Friedman would be contrasted with his entire career, John Maynard Keynes. Keynes was the field of economics from World War I clear through to the 1960s, and he has a little resurgence today, thankfully. He towered over the discipline for half a century and is still mentioned in the same breath as Karl Marx, Adam Smith, and David Ricardo in the pantheon of great thinkers in economics. Friedman and his colleague Friedrich Hayek, who in many ways is even more beloved to libertarians today, established the Mont Pelerin Society as a free market liberalism think tank that grew ever more dogmatic in its approach to capitalism. Everything we have is because of capitalism. Because someone had an incentive to get up off his ass, to out-invent, to out-earn, yes, and to subjugate others. For years, Chicago economists generated theories that chipped away at Keynes's legacy, but it wasn't until the stagflation crisis of the 1970s that the developed world heaved Keynes out the window rather unceremoniously and rolled out the red carpet for Friedman, who had established himself as the alpha in the field of economics. Now, in this and subsequent episodes, we've returned to these brief but very crucial years as they sent the pendulum flying to the right and ushered in a wave of reform that we've been suffering under since the early 1980s. As our foundation grew and we began to home in on certain themes, we made sure to pull back and broaden the lens periodically to see how our domestic transition was impacting the rest of the world. We examined the U.S. policy towards Cuba, which grew from a strictly Cold War rationale to adopting the neoliberal perspective without blinking. We peaked in America's attic to do a full-fledged America-splaining episode of Canadian politics and show how they suffer from the same neoliberal tendencies that we do, though their conversations are slightly more elevated and honest than ours. You don't say! In our 9-11 episode, we traced the roots of this tragic crescendo back to the original 9-11 in 1973 when the U.S. facilitated the assassination of Chilean President Salvador Allende and cleared the way for a different kind of Latin American intervention. And most recently, we covered the Washington Consensus, which was a white paper authored by John Williamson describing the U.S. policy toward the whole of Latin America and the Caribbean since the Mexican debt crisis in 1982. The majority of these policies can be wholly contributed to the thought experiments of the Chicago School and the Mont Pelerin Society, a straight line if ever there was one. Which brings me back to what I said earlier about trying to draw straight lines from Milton Friedman's concept of economic liberty and free markets to the policy agenda of the United States from mass incarceration to foreign interventions. Whenever we talk about Milton Friedman, I try to make it abundantly clear that the man himself was not evil. He was a true believer in the power of free markets and actually not mean-spirited. He's often rebuked by the left for horrible outcomes of his policies, but in many cases, the policies themselves were either perversions of his philosophy or lacked the nuance to be true to form. My problem with Friedman, and why I still say fuck him, is because he lived long enough to see his theories bastardized, and rather than say that maybe his purest vision of the free market was impossible to fit into the real world, he simply said everyone was doing it wrong. His ego could not allow for the possibility that free markets are, as Bernard Harcourt points out, an illusion. Friedman popularized the phrase, there's no such thing as a free lunch. But the conclusion that we attempted to draw throughout these episodes is that the real sentiment is there's no such thing as a free market. Hey Max, Manny, 99. Greetings from Ireland. Uh, Bobby McDee here just wanted to say uh, congratulations on the one year anniversary. Uh, that's quite the milestone. And you gotta keep it going, keep it going until everything's either completely fucked or completely unfucked. Anyway, peace out and fuck Milton Friedman. Hmm, what can I say about this show? So I've been listening to podcasts for quite some time, and not like a bro who's been listening to Joe Rogan for a few months, an actual long time. So when Max told me about this idea, I was more than excited. I know this is supposed to be a time to reflect on what I've enjoyed and learned working on this show, and I can touch on how I've learned more than I ever have, but I wanted to take this time to shine a light onto Max. 
We may tease him for having a big head, but he's truly the most humble person and the smartest person and so kind and thoughtful. I couldn't dream of and frankly don't want to dream of doing this with anybody else. He loves making this show for you on fuckers as much as you love listening to the show. So thank you to you, Max, for sharing your brilliance with not just me, but all of our fucking amazing unfuckers. Here's to the next year. Freaking 99. She wouldn't let me see what she wrote. It was supposed to be about the show, not about me. I'll deal with you later. So, let's move on here. We've covered a lot of ground in just a year together, but the two shows that are most meaningful to me by far are the Culture Cancel episode on the American Holocaust of Indigenous people and the economics of racism. I feel like these encapsulate how exactly policy, be it military, legislative, or economic, can be weaponized against marginalized communities. What's so fascinating about the United States is that we objectively have good bones The constitutional framework, separation of powers, and abundant resources lay the groundwork for a pretty remarkable republic. And yet somehow, we've shown everything from incredible indifference to outright resistance to positive change. Those who have controlled the mechanisms of power throughout our brief history have used them in such horrifying ways that it should shame us all. And yet, we've also been imbued with the ability to look past those who are less fortunate, no matter what's engraved at the foot of Lady Liberty. We simply don't see ourselves clearly. We talk about freedom, but live under the constant threat of insolvency. We talk about opportunity, and yet most of us will do less well than our parents. Real wages for 90% of the nation haven't moved since the 1970s, and we've erected structural barriers to prevent mobility for people of color from inception. We talk about bravery, and yet we bully the world through sanctions, invade foreign nations whenever and wherever we please, plunder the resources of the world, veto human rights provisions at the United Nations, and we literally tried to stamp out an entire people within our own borders. Nothing about this is brave. We have to change the story. The fairy tale we tell ourselves about the land of the free and home of the brave is just that. It's a fairy tale. It's one of the reasons I talk so much about language. Changing our story means changing the narrative, and that means learning a new language. As we spoke about in our LGBTQ episode, we can't live the change until we can verbalize the change. It's why we covered the anniversary of Occupy Wall Street and determined that the real legacy of Occupy was how it gave us the vocabulary of inequality. For the first time since the New Deal, we began to see things from a viewpoint of the 99%. We called our corporate masters out on the carpet and issued a declaration of no more. It's why we dissected the impact of nefarious figures such as Rupert Murdoch, a man with power and no ideology, a man who profits from dissent. It's why many of the takeaways that we call our Tyson principle revolve around the concept of language. History does repeat itself if we fail to recognize it. The Tyson Principle is named for the very first listener to reach out and challenge us, not simply to lay out the problem, but to lay out the prescription. And the prescription for our illness begins with learning how to see it, how to spot the issues that plague the Republic and frame it in a way that provides clarity. How can you know where we're going if you don't know from whence you came? That, if anything, was the central theme of our first year. And so, my fellow unfuckers, a few final thoughts as we put the first year behind us. Or as the great New York Mets announcer, Howie Rose, says, put it in the books! Oh, God, please don't reveal that you're a rabid Mets fan. People were just beginning to like you. I am what I am, Manny. Miami Vice, New York Mets, the Bogmen. All part of the basic white guy formula, baby. There is a shift beneath us. In case you missed it, the progressives have found their mojo. That's not to say we're in the driver's seat. There's a long way to go. But the past few weeks have been illuminating. In the 90s, there were 10 members of Congress that were in the Progressive Caucus, led by a man named Bernie Sanders. Today, there are 96. Now, we're going to talk a lot about the progressive movement in the year ahead, beginning with next week's quickie. There's a lot to be psyched about. Although, as we noted in our Climate Industrial Complex episode, it's already too late on several fronts. And there's another trend. This one related to where we are right now. 
that I don't love. And that's the splintering among progressive figures. We're used to Democrats eating their young, but progressives have long been united because of their extreme minority status. But now that the left wing of the party is gaining momentum, egos are beginning to take hold and the knives are out. So that's something to watch for. So here's what's planned for the next few months. We're going to talk about progressive politics, do a little analysis of isms that guide our politics, look beyond our borders to foreign interventions past and present to try and predict what happens next. We'll continue down the economic path to explore the world of commodities such as oil and gas and precious metals, ponder a meatless future, unfuck Hollywood's impact on the American psyche, and get to the root causes of immigration and asylum seekers, all in an effort to learn more about ourselves refine our shared language, and build towards an equitable future. One unfucking great episode at a time. In the meantime, thank you to all of the unfuckers, subfuckers, eurofuckers, uncanuckers, and down-under fuckers for making this an extraordinary first year. Thank you for sending so much love to Manny and 99 in recognition of their extraordinary talents. Fuck Milton Friedman, Rupert Murdoch, Ronald Reagan, and all the fuckers will unfuck in the coming years together. Here endeth the masturbatory exercise in self-aggrandizement. Put it in the box! Tensions run high in this week's episode of Keeping Up with the Congressians. The lunchroom chamber was all a titter about AOC's Met Gala dress. How much for the tuna sandwich? Four ninety-nine. Jesus Christ! In my day, you could buy a tuna sandwich. My precious sloppy Joe, I will have. Senator Rubio, put down my cola. <laughs> Ooh, they have PB and J sandwiches. Fun. Lindsay, for once, can you eat like a grown-up? Don't be such a stick in the mud, Mitch. Did you see what she was wearing? Tax the rich. Seriously? Tell me about it. It should have said, I kill babies. Uh, <laughs> what are you guys talking about? Oh, uh, thought she looked hot. She's just too old for me. Oh, look, it's the senators. They think they're such hot shit. Just the way she was prancing around like that with all them fucking rich people. Who the fuck does she think she is anyway? I swear. And tattooing text the rich on her skinny little ass? Please. Look over there. It's the lowly Republican Congress people. I bet they're talking about how amazing and talented my partner Rosario Dawson is. No, they're not, Senator Booker. No one is talking about that. They're probably talking about AOC's dress at the Met Gala when they should be talking about the infrastructure spending plan. Well, I for one think she looked fabulous. Can we please hurry up? I have a press conference. Lindsay, go sit at the other table. Oh, poo. Millionaires and billionaires are stealing from the mouths of the poor and the downtrodden in this nation. And all my colleagues want to talk about is that goddamn dress. Hey, y'all. Sassy Dems won't let me sit at their table. What's going on over here? Her precious dress I shall have. Don't be a creeper, Senator Cruz. Hey, I was just listening to that on the Walkman thingamajig. Joe Biden, what are you doing at the Congressional Lunch Hall? I got some mashed potatoes and was waiting on old Strom Thurmond to show up. We always have lunch together. There you are, Jabiden. Sorry, fellas. He keeps getting away from old Mamala. They like to act like I don't know where I am all the darn time. But I know where I'm not. And I they can't tell me otherwise, just like old Corn Pop, the gangbanger. Or it'll be like the, hey, I tell you, when you're commuting five hours a day, I mean, come on. Holy shit, it's her. Uh, <laughs> Bubba Boom. My precious AOC. She's almost as beautiful as Rosario Dawson. Good Lord, Alexandria. You look sensational. Hey, yo, it's me. 
You know, AOC, get no respect from Fox or CNN, even NBC. What's a girl gotta do to pass some legislation to feed the poor and save the nation, give away healthcare education? Is this seat taken? Cause I'm coming through. Crowley gave up his, maybe you should too. Don't like my dress, Mitch? Cause my ass attacks the rich, pass the mustard filibuster, I'm a baddest fucking bitch. I got a squad, you got squat. Just a bunch of old white dudes protecting what you got. My wave is blue, and it's title. So it's vital that you fund the social welfare we're entitled. Ayanna Presley, Jaya Paul, Cory Bush, and Jamie Raskin, Ro Connor, Barbara Lee, Katie Porter, kick your ass. We got the numbers to send a message. Your time is up with the progressives. Yeah. I'll have what she's having. Hey ho, and welcome back to Show Notes. Hey, 99. Hi. Thank you for the kind words. You're welcome. It was totally unnecessary. You could have said something about your experience in the show and what you've learned and all that other stuff. You really could have. You said that already. You told everyone what we've learned. All the things? Yeah, that's what I learned. All the things? Yeah. Okay. Well, we got a lot of stuff to go through today, so let's get to it. In coffee donations, Mr. Sayless became a member saying, fucking fuckity fuck fuck, love what you three do. Thank you so much for uh, becoming a member of the show. Appreciate you. Oh, Bob Knutson is also now a member. I didn't even know what to say, Bob. You wrote some really great stuff, but you always write really great stuff. There's many times when I'm putting the show together where I think about you working in a university setting, goodwill hunting style, just listening to our shit, laughing along with us. And uh, it really feels like a, like a family show because of you, because of Nettie, because of Alex, because of so many other people that are showing us love. So thank you for that. Brandon is also now a member, says, really enjoy the podcast and appreciate all of y'all's hard work. Well, we appreciate you, Brandon. And Maria C. is now a member. From, of course, Best of the Left, sent uh, Maria a few months ago as the first American born in a boogie-down Bronx. Daughter of a Chilean mom and Argentine dad that left Chile between Allende and Pinochet. Raised in Houston at the age of five, generally appreciate the global view. Man, I bet you do. Maria C., pretty cool backstory. Welcome to the show. Skier Femme? Did I do that right? I think so. Okay, Skier Femme is also now a member. 99, this is a thing. This is fucking happening. And Nettie Hugger One is now a member as well, worth every fucking penny. Super cool. Carrie C., also now a member. I've become a podcast addict in the past two years or so, and yours is the most educational, thought-provoking political show I've ever encountered. Well, fuck yeah, Carrie C. Welcome to the unfucking universe. Dan H. bought us three coffees, tight intros, solid content, cheerworthy conclusions. So effing good. Douglas K. bought five coffees. I completely agree with you. The only possible way to get positive movement against the existential threats of our time is, quote, massive intervention into our own economy through stringent regulations, clean energy subsidization, and maybe nationalizing key elements of our own energy infrastructure. Douglas K., thank you for picking up on that very last little piece there, because that is really, really, really controversial, because that just, everybody just starts screaming, communism! As soon as you talk about that, but then when you break it down and say, we're literally the only fucking country that would have more than 7,000 energy distribution facilities throughout the country that are independently owned. It's fucking crazy. It sort of fit into the AOC rap. What's that? Stringent regulations, clean energy subsidization. <laughs> How bad was that AOC rap? I liked it. You can be honest. Come on. No, I liked it. You did? I'm going to be singing all the time. You know, <laughs> AOC. AOC. I think my favorite part was, is that seat taken? Joe Crowley gave up his. I love that. I don't know. I liked, didn't like my dress, Mitch, because my ass attacks the rich. Yeah. Manny, feel free to punch in here. Scale of one to ten. One being you absolutely loved it, and ten being you really absolutely loved it. What would you think? New York is weird today. <laughs> it's a weird day today. Look, you're a nice guy, right? I like you. But this is not the career path for you. Okay, now, unfuckers, dig this. DK on the rocks bought 50, yes, 50, five, zero coffees. Found us through our buddy over at Pitchfork Economics. Oh, my God. Love the format of the teaching with citations. Your approach of balancing the wonkiness with humor results to very approachable content. 
Wow. DK on the rocks. Sincerely, sincerely appreciate that donation, that subsidization, as it were. Amazing stuff. Now, Tony Baloney <laughs> bought five coffees. Love the show. Enjoy some coffee on me. We absolutely will. Coffee and a smile. Dig that. Medis 18 bought three coffees. Great show. Found you from Pitchfork Economics. Pitchfork. Really coming through for us, man. And Kenneth K. bought three coffees. My father hates it when I say fuck, but he enjoys the podcast. He recommended it to me. Oh, cool. Kenneth K. Keeping it all in the family. Good stuff. Appreciate you coming aboard. And I'm going to hand the next part over to the estimable 99. Thank you. So we always talk about our Buy Me a Coffee members, but it occurred to me on this anniversary episode that we have people who buy our coffee, our literal coffee, every month. So I figured we'd shout them out today as a nice thank you. I think that's wonderful. So these are the people who are buying our monthly coffee. You can go to unftr.com shop, check out with any blend you want, buy yourself a sampler, and there's an option to make it recurring monthly. So thank you to Dominic F., Laura B., Ann G., Steve C., Kimberly H., Charles C., Seamus J., Sanger C., David D., Maria C., Stephanie C., is everyone's last name start with a C., John S., Charlie C., Daniel R., that might be Daniel Radcliffe, Catherine S., Erica S., Sarah G., and Angela B. So much fun. On Facebook, Roger S. said, I so love this podcast. By far the best one out there. Opened my eyes on things I did not know or thought I knew. You all are great, especially 99. More 99, love. So great. (laughs) James Q., Found the podcast, specifically the episode by way of Pitchfork Economics, Fucking Awesome, and Fuck Milton Friedman. Chip W., the work UNFTR does is comprehensive, heroic, and quite remarkable. Thank you so much. On Twitter, at GayPole, said, if you're interested in politics, the truth, and enjoy the F word, UNFTR pod is one of the best things on the airwaves. That is a tremendous compliment from this brilliant woman. Hey, 99, what's happening over on Instagram? Yeah, so we had some more feedback after our LGBTQ episode, and Corey M. messaged, and he said, uh, regarding acronyms, they're a big fan of Quilt Bag Plus, which is queer or questioning, undecided, intersex, lesbian, trans or two-spirit, bisexual, asexual or allied, and gay or genderqueer. So it's kind of this new acronym that's coming up that's all-encompassing, a little more in-depth than LGBTQ+. And Justin Trudeau would be able to wrap his mouth around uh, the name of it. (laughs) Yes, that's true. And then the Sewing Hoop Snake messaged and they said, hey, I just finished the LGBT episode and I feel the need to say a thing or two. First, I love the emphasis on the complexity of the queer experience. I saw this episode in my podcast list and I had to wait a few days to give it a listen to prepare myself for another basic-ass explanation. That's what I do. (laughs) But for being basic, it was better than I feared. There were a few things I thought could use a little polishing. One, it seemed as if you were talking to a straight audience, which apparently was the objective, but it wasn't to my tastes. Mm -hmm. I wish you had expressed that TERFs aren't feminists. I wish you had time to talk about AIDS and the effect it had on acceptance and how losing two generations of queer people affected the movement. Effectively, we had to start over. And I also wish you had time to talk about the pay gap but I understand that I have a lot of ass for a half-hour show. I wanted to call that message out. I responded on Instagram, and I thanked them for writing in, and I think all of these were valid things to have concerns about. Effectively, we had to start over. That's really powerful, thinking about that. Yeah. I do know that we're going to be touching a little bit on the AIDS epidemic from an economic perspective and also in relation to our episode on Haiti. Nice. So there will be some crossover there. So, you know, again, I still see this as a, as we say, a good level setting episode for us to sort of like at least communicate, hey, this is the language that we're going to be using as we go on through the show. And these are the intersections that we're going to be evaluating when we, you know, bring everything back into the realm of socioeconomics and and politics. So uh, back to emails for a second here. Uh, Ray Fraff got in touch with us, um, wanted to propose the idea that we do an episode on conspiracy movements. I know Max said previously we'd like the show to stay in our lane, can't disagree. I'd like to point out that some conspiracy movements are basically political movements. Keep up the excellent work on fuckers. Love you all. Uh, I have more than once actually refrained from veering into this territory. It reminds me of the that old phrase that just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not watching you. You know, just because some of these conspiracies that exist in the world doesn't mean they're necessarily fake. And what I find more than anything is that 
there are multiple absolute truths depending upon a person's perspective and that being in the moment and being able to really forensically look at a situation is super important. But when we start layering things together that don't really make a lot of contextual sense to something that can blow things out of proportion, and there's so many of these type of events over the years. The one thing I'll say to this, Rafe Raff, is that there's a lot of really good conspiracy debunking shows out there. I think that's one of the lanes, like it would be like us trying to do a true crime podcast. There are so many exceptional true crime podcasts out there, so many exceptional conspiracy podcasts that really do a great job. And I'm not sure that I have the research wherewithal to unpack some of those things, but I could talk about it with respect to how they have influenced maybe a mindset related to another topic. So before our unfuckers think that Rafe Raff wants to talk about Flat Earth, he was referring more to like QAnon specifically. Oh, definitely. Yeah. So QAnon, it's something tangible because people have shirts and stickers on their cars and stuff. And it is a political movement of sorts. So I think that does and will probably tie in at some point without going full hollow moon, Flat Earth, Denver Airport, Pizzagate, all of that. But, the, you know... Again, to bring it back to like something rational, they really shouldn't have been killing children in the basement of that pizza parlor. They shouldn't have done it, right? <laughs> Ali Kay was able to snatch one last remaining UNFTRT and said it made their day to get it in the mail and try it on. Yeah, we have a lot of restocking to do. Unfuckers were very kind to us over the last few months. So we've got restocking to do and merchandise, coffee, the whole, whole nine. Derek R., what's your opinion of Bill Maher? I don't agree with every one of his views. I appreciate his common sense approach to issues oftentimes drive people away from the left. Yeah, I, you know, huh, I don't love the show, mostly because I don't think he's funny. I don't think they give a lot of time to some of the amazing experts that they have on the panel. I don't love these, you know, these formats. Basically, my biggest criticism of Maher, beyond the fact that he is just a raging Islamophobe, which uh, it just drives me nuts, is that uh, he, I think he's smarter than some of the information that, and, and the way that he delivers some of his information in his stand-up pieces. I think his rightful outrage is sometimes well-placed and sometimes it's kind of misplaced. But more than anything, this format just does not lend itself to like really crucial debate and thought and expression of, of some really important ideas. But that's where I leave it, Derek R. Just my opinion. Max S. Hey, Max. Another Max? Long-time listener, first-time caller. I love when people say that, by the way. I go back a long way with radio, so uh, I think that's very funny. Anyway, I like what you, the collective you, are doing here. I understand your hesitance to talk about LGBTQA+, in referencing to offending someone within the group of people. You will offend someone with language and usage. It's inevitable. Those of us who've seen a few years will understand that people don't always get the vocabulary quote right. We're more concerned with the intent. In summary... I'm delighted people like me are being included in the discussion and don't worry about making mistakes. Just don't make a habit of it. That's a true unfucker sentiment right there. Just enough grace, but don't do it twice. Thank you for that, Max. Apple Reviews. Wow, we had a couple great Apple Reviews. One of the best podcasts covering politics and economics. Uh, Xena17 said, I never had so much fun learning new things and 99 rocks. <laughs> that first review was from Zflex, by the way. On Podcast Addict, Jack Asicorn said excellent deep dives into how we got to where we are today. I'd recommend listening to all of the episodes. Cool. Amy said the best podcast. Every new episode is like Christmas morning. Chef Old Man Ton said rip-roaringly clever podcast with patently empathetic outsider perspective that draws a lot of inspiration from George Carlin. Well, I can die. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that was beautiful. Thank you so much. HVAC Man said, uh, wonderfully erudite exploration of the American experience, perfectly punctuated with profanity. Good Lord. Unfuckers, man. Just the best. Wilson said, energetic and catchy melodies, creative beats with witty lyrics. I can really dance to this. And he hasn't even heard this episode. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. He'll be taking that review back after this. Speaking of uh, podcasts, while we're there, you want to go over some pod love? Sure. So these are some remainders from our LGBTQ episode. We had some people write in after we'd recorded last episode, and I wanted to make sure we got them in there. So Danielle B. suggested the miniseries Anti-Trans Hate Machine by Translash Media, wow. and also Queersplaining by Callie Wright, which unfucker John R. also suggested. And we'll be adding both of those into our UNFTR pod playlist. Very cool. So just to close out on this as a reminder for pod love, best of the left... Don't just listen to it. Take out a membership if you uh, can see your way clear to doing that. 
Thank you to everybody, obviously, that has supported UNFTR with the membership. It is hugely, hugely important to us and just so meaningful. It, it really can't thank you enough, unfuckers, for, for really getting behind us that way. Clearly, we want to thank the folks over at Pitchfork Economics, David Pakman for supporting us along the way, the Young Turks, anybody that has allowed us to speak through them to reach this audience so that you're here with us today. We're just ever, ever so grateful. As always, Unfucking the Republic is produced by Manny Faces Media. Don't like my dress, Mitch, because my ass is texted. Oh, fuck. The show is lovingly produced by the great and wonderful 99. Our theme music was composed by Tom McGovern. Visit TomMcGovern.com. The show is hosted by College Street and distributed on Appleton. Send us your comments, your questions, your suggestions to UNFTRPod at gmail.com. Connect with us on social at UNFTRPod. Become a member at buymeacoffee.com slash UNFTR. Visit our book list at bookshop.org slash shop slash UNFTRPod. Get some native roasted coffee, organic, fair trade, shade grown, bird friendly, fucking delicious coffee at UNFTR.com slash shop. Read our essays on unftr.substack.com and remember, it will always be free. See you later, 99. Happy anniversary. You too. Nailed it. A person, party, policy, or poopy caca. To somehow... (laughs) That's so fun to say. (laughs) She's almost as beautiful as Rosario Dawson. I love Booker. That cracks me. So stupid. I do not know if this is going to work. <laughs> I can't. I tried to. I don't know what it is. Is it a wrap? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Are you wrapping the whole thing? Mm-hmm. As AOC. Sorry, Manny. <laughs> I know you're going to hate me for this, but it's secretly love me. Love me for me, Manny. Hey, it's me. You know, AOC got no. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. It worked when I was drunk. Shocking.